made locally in Bath. This is Radio Bath. I used to be able to hit those notes. Certain things dropped after that, but there we go. There's Sweet Freedom by Michael McDonald. So I'm here with the lovely Rachel McGill. So let me just do a quick intro for Rachel then. So having served as an army officer, Rachel has almost 30 years leadership development experience and specialises in the development of resilience in leaders and the tools they need to succeed. Sounds good so far. Uh, Rachel's career include becoming the youngest captain in the Royal Army Ordnance Corp at 23 and being part of the three-woman team that broke the world record for the fastest circumnavigation of the globe or of the globe in a car. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Richard. How are you doing? Does it sound weird having an introduction like that? Yeah, very strange. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you're a celebrity all of a sudden. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Nice good, to good. be here. It's nice to have you in, looking very smart as well. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to start talking about your round-the-world trip. So uh, tell us about it. How did you get into it and, uh, okay. and how long did it take? It was a long time ago, first of all. Okay, when? 1990, okay. years and years and years ago. So different era, different... Um, vibe. I was just joined the army, my first first job, and I had the most brilliant boss, one of who lives in Bath, actually. Okay. Do you want to, um, get, do, you want to do a name check? Ray Lavar. Okay. If you're around Ray, you're a star. <laughs> um, and his boss, a, a, a chap called Richard Bugler. Um, I was out in Germany, and things were quiet. It was pre First Gulf War, and I was the only one of the only officers in the mess, and there was not a lot going on. It was a big ordnance depot. And my boss said, right, you need to go and do some courses, get yourself out of here or you're going to go crazy. So this thing came up. Um, there was a chap called Tony Stubbs who was one of the original mini cab drivers, mini car drivers in the, the first Italian job, the film. Okay. And he'd always had the, the dream to break the world record for the fastest driver around the world. And he happened to live next door to the Royal Army Ordnance Corps headquarters. So he walked into the guardroom one day and said, I need 20 fit young people to um, help me achieve this dream I have. And so the call went out. I applied, came back to the UK for a selection, got in, and um, that was it. We started training for this drive, raising money for what was going to be a charitable attempt um, to raise funds for the Variety Club of Great Britain and the Royal Army Ordnance Corps Benevolent Fund. Okay. And that was it. So we we started training. So how many of you were training for each car? Okay, there were 20 people in right. total. And there were two vehicles because they were going for both world record, the women's and the men's. Okay. And they needed three women to drive one car, three men to drive the other. And the, the, the rule, one of the rules was that you had to have the same driving crew start and finish support crew could change so we spent six months training driving we did fast driving course with the met police in hendon okay did loads of fitness which was ironic because we ended up sitting on our bottoms (laughs) for 39 days in the car but um yeah so got to the selection point and um they had to choose six three men three women to drive the vehicles 
and the, the rest of them would become the support crew. Oh, okay. And uh, first question that's in my head is, what car was it? Okay, it, it, was wasn't, a, it wasn't a Mini, was it? No, it wasn't. It was a Rover 827 SI Saloon. So um, I'm trying to picture that now. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a picture here, but it's, it's not for radio. Oh, no, show me the picture. <laughs> I, need, I need to see the picture. So oh, yeah, I just yeah, brought yeah. in some pictures as well, which is lovely. There you go, it's on the front cover okay. there. Okay, so for the uh, the benefit of the tape, as I used to say, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a... I, want to, I can't even think how to describe that. It's a, a big saloon car, basically. Yeah, classic it, 80s saloon car. Really. It is. It's not that big. It's like a Ford Escort, but probably a bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. Is that probably about right? Yeah, no modifications. So they, they, they were really excited to try and keep the car as close to the model as possible. So there was... We had reinforced suspension, so they did some stuff with the suspension... We got sponsored by Michelin, so they gave us nice tyres, and they put a big piece of foam on the back seat for us to sleep on. Okay. So the the drill in the vehicles when we set off was four hours driving, four hours sleeping, four hours navigating. Okay. You had to do 25,000 miles, which is the circumference of the globe, at least, and you had to do it in the spirit of circumnavigation, so from one continent to another to another. So obviously, my, my immediate question is kind of, A, which route did you take? Yeah. And also, did you actually go around the world? Um, yeah. Obviously, you can't go from north to south because that, that's got slight challenges with the <laughs> north and south pole. So so what was your route then? Yeah. So we had we did a European route. So you had to go from continent to continent. Okay. Now, because we were military, we were quite restricted where we could go. So we made up the mileage in the, the friendly countries and um, went in, did a, a thousand miles. You had to do at least a thousand miles on each continent. So we went into Africa, for example, we did a thousand miles around Morocco, which okay. sounds a bit of a cop out, but it was all that we were allowed to do. Um, so we did a kind of European route um, down into Africa, flew the vehicles. We got sponsored by BA. Right. I have Very to say nice. these names, but you can say whatever. Okay, they flew the cars between the continents for us. Um, these days, again, kind of our, our footprint wasn't great, I guess, but it was a different era, as I say. So yeah, we we flew the cars. Same crew started and finished. The drill in the car was, as I say, sleep, drive. Um, Richard and Judy actually followed us around. Right. They sent a, a reporter to come and meet us in different places around okay. the world. So we kind of, yeah. We had um, boiling vessels that came out of tanks in the back seat of the car. So we had these um, boil in the bag. Yeah, I Com- remember them well. Yeah, compo rations. <laughs> I'm ex-military as well, so I, I remember those bags. <laughs> Not nice. But no. uh, yeah, so we were pretty self-sufficient, planned the route and um, did the drive. Now, I think the question that most people have got in their head right now, or it mm-hmm. may not be most people, it may just be me. Okay, Who go knows? for it, Richard. But What's the question? The question which no doubt you've been asked many times before is, the toilet, what oh, did you do gosh. for that? No, we, we didn't have... <laughs> you, didn't have like a, you didn't have a toilet on board or anything. No, no, so. no, no, no. We had to stop. So we got um, sponsored by Shell as well. So we kind of <laughs> headed for the Shell garages and okay. hoped for the best with the toilets. There was a couple of interesting incidents on toilets. Actually, now you're making me remember, but um, they're probably not for radio, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> we'll have a chat afterwards. Yeah, yeah, we'll I think that's all fair. We'll, we'll have a chat and see if we can broadcast <laughs> those ones or not. So, um, so, yeah, so you went from continent to continent. Yeah. How far did you have to do? 25,000 miles. We did... T- 26,000 and a bit miles in the end. Okay. Um, we had, it was, it was pretty hitched for it free, so um, the, the support crews didn't have very much to do. The cars were brilliant, and we changed the tyres once. Right. In fact, I don't even know we did that. I think the, po- the point was we didn't have to change the tyres. So, yeah, it was great. No crashes. We got impounded in uh, Brazil, in Rio. Um, Go on then, tell just, a, just because there, there was a big, the, I think the World Cup was on, and right. we 
had to drive through Rio de Janeiro to, whilst everybody was celebrating on the yeah. streets and stuff like I'm that. I think 1990 was Italy, wasn't it? So, uh, was yeah, it? yeah, there was kind of something crazy going on. Um, they would have been supporting the World yeah, Cup, no yeah. doubt. So. And just the, the customs were really slow. We got a police escort through Greece at one point, which we were really excited about because we thought we could drive fast. We weren't allowed to break any um, speed limits. Okay. So whatever country we were in had to abide by the speed limit and had tachometers in the, in the engines. Right. Um, and these guys in Greece um, took us below the speed limit for hundreds of miles because they were so excited. They took us to their, <laughs> to their friends' houses, their family's houses, showed us off. It's just, please, we want to get on. Like, we're trying to do a world record. <laughs> Stop exactly. going slowly. Yeah. But, um, the, the selection of the, of the crews was really interesting because they chose the men. In those days, um, they thought they would be able to use the male team as a recruitment tool. They chose them based on rank, um, so their junior rank, a warrant officer who'd come up through the ranks, and, a, and an officer. And they chose us um, on the basis of our driving ability, um, the women, they weren't worried about the rank. They didn't think we'd get as much publicity, which okay. ironically, the opposite was true. Yeah. They were really interested in that. And they chose us on compatibility. We did a lot of psychometric testing. Right. So they chose us based on who they thought would get on well together. And they ignored that stuff for the guys. Of course. Because all men get on perfectly right. well all of the time. Yeah, you'd have thought so. It was a bit of a struggle for them. Okay. But you know what? I want to hear more about that. So uh, we're going to have okay. a little break for some music. Okay. And then we're going to find out a little bit more about the <laughs> compatibility of the men and the women in the cars. And I know you've brought in as well, which I know for radio you can't see it, but uh, she's brought in the actual world record uh, poster. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that. So, uh, so yeah, we'll be coming back after that. So uh, it's Richard Bobson here till midday today. It's Justin Timberlake for you. Can't stop the feeling. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. All through my city, all through my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that sunshine in my pocket. And there's Jess Glynn there with Don't Be So Hard. It's Richard Bovesan here until midday today. If you do have any questions, by the way, for Rachel, do email them in at studio at radiobath.com. Always open to some, to some questions as well for her. So we were chatting off air about the, uh, about the toilet part, which we'll come to very shortly. We've decided it's okay, Rachel, oh, isn't God. it? Okay, yeah. It is. But to start with, we're going to go back a little bit and uh, a bit of training that you did mm-hmm. in preparation for the Round the World trip. So tell us about that. Um, we did lots of fitness, but we also needed to raise money. And um, we, somebody, and I don't remember who it was, came up with a brilliant idea of doing something from John O'Groats to Land's End. So out of a, as a joke, somebody said, well, let's scooter. Let's get a children's scooter and um, let's do that. So we did. We divided the route up and the 20 of us took it in turns to scooter from John O'Groats to Land's End. And uh, yeah. And there now, when is, we say a scooter, yeah. can, can we try and picture this? Because immediately in my head, I had like a, a little motorised scooter. Yeah, no, they didn't exist then, I don't think. So, I mean, this was, there wasn't mobile phones in those days, Richard. <laughs> so. I, I was thinking more of a moped. That's what I had in my head, <laughs> oh, a see. moped, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, no, no, this was a, a little ch- children's scooter, but we did put pneumatic tyres on them. Right. And um, we went, we set off, we had a, a Range Rover, Land Rover supporting and set off. And I got the, um, the one of the legs was um, in a hill in Cornwall, and um, this chap and another chap scooted up this incredible hill, really, really steep hill, 
and it got to the end of his 20 minute slot and it was my turn on the scooter at the top of the hill so I was delighted <laughs> and I was downhill leg so I set off downhill we had no no helmets t-shirts shorts and just normal brakes and I got up to such a speed that I was too scared to put the brakes on uh, right. because I thought if I do I'm going to come off so everybody in the Land Rover cheering thinking I was really brave I got to 38 miles an hour on this children's scooter wow yeah not through bravery through absolute sheer terror I was hanging on for and again life. I've seen photos of this, of this scooter and <laughs> it is tiny this is not a full size mountain bike or anything yeah, yeah. like that this is a proper children's scooter <laughs> that's being ridden by adults yeah it's ridiculous it was very silly and one of the poor chap once rode into a in the morning rush hour by a bus stop he, he had his head down on a scooter went into a lamppost, fell off, knocked himself out. And the little lady with a shopping bag at the, at the bus stop had a, had a go at him, saying, you foolish man, you know, on a children's scooter, what are you doing? We're trying to explain that we're doing it for charity. She wouldn't have any of it, you know. So, yeah, great fun. So, yeah, we raised money that way and got ready, got fit, ready, ready to sit down for 39 days in a car. So 39 days in a car. We mentioned before the break about... Mm. The issue of possibly going to the toilet, and we oh, discussed gosh. off air about whether this story was suitable. We've made the decision between us, I believe, uh, not railroading you into this at all, that it is suitable. So, uh, so yeah, tell us uh, about the, uh, the toilet incident. Okay, better. it wasn't really toilet, but we, we would um, drive the cars up to a wall when we were stopping to, to wash and so on. So we drove the cars up to a, to a solid side open the front and back door to make a cubicle so it's the back wash. of the car that would go up against the uh, the side of the car side of the car so you'd open okay. both doors just slightly away from the wall and you'd wash and and so on anyway i bent over i was bent over and we unbeknownst to me the thing that we'd come up against was a fiberglass wall and i think we were in australia and anyway i bent over doing bits and pieces lent my bottom against the fiberglass wall and got splinters in my bottom <laughs> and because we had to sit um you know there was no nothing there was no hot showers or anything couldn't get it out so my friend had to tweezer these fiberglass so you had your friend tweezering <laughs> fiberglass out of your bottom yes that's you get very close in a car for 39 <laughs> days necessarily <laughs> so we had the two cars then yes. so you had the male car effectively and the female car yes is that the, the correct that's word? right yeah and uh, and yeah the first question is, who got the world record? We both did. Both exactly, did. Just both world records, men's and women's world record. We smashed it, got it in 39 days. Um, okay. And we, I think we predicted sort of uh, 50 or something like that. So great. And how did both teams get on? W- the women's team, because we had been selected on driving ability, I hasten to add, and um, compatibility, got on really well. We had one argument in France on the way home, last leg. Okay. Um, I can't even remember what it was about. But the guys' team struggled because they hadn't been chosen based on how they would get on. They were each individually lovely people, I hasten to add, but they just struggled to get on. Whereas for us, it was really easy. And it's kind of what got me interested in why that was the case, because mm. they had a, you know, what should have been a brilliant experience. And it was, it was a class, a brilliant experience. But for me, it was a joy. Yeah. And for them, it wasn't so great along the way. So what do you reckon they struggled with then? Um... Oh gosh, it's hard. It's hard to say because I wasn't in the car. But um, it was there was just they just didn't click. Whereas I can only speak for the three of us. It was just easy, you know. And a lot of the you know prejudice in those days was like, oh god, three women in a car—that's going to be mm. a disaster. Yeah. It really wasn't. 
And yeah. that, that psychometric testing saved me from a, a challenging experience. It made it a great experience for me. Yeah. And, uh, and you then went on to uh, appear, is that correct, on Record Breakers? Yes. Okay, tell us yes. about that. And with, was it Roy Castle? Roy Castle, Roy Castle yeah. with his trumpet. Yeah. Yeah, he was a lovely man. And, um, yeah, we did all of that. Again, we were trying to kind of raise publicity. The, the army wanted to use it as a recruitment tool, which was great. And the fact that you did have women appearing equally and they were really interested in the women how we were getting on and so on so it did a really good job of recruitment i think for the for the army so you think more women joined the army because of what oh, you had done honestly richard i have no idea but i like to think so you know i think was, you're probably right it's it, it's making it human isn't it rather yeah. than kind of like it's yeah. blokes around doing all of this type of absolutely. stuff absolutely and there is actually a role for women to do yeah. in the in the army at that stage yeah. so uh, yeah. so yeah so how was roy he was a really nice chap. I didn't meet him very long, but he was very welcoming. And Richard and Judy were lovely as well. They made us. We went to the Liverpool studios. Okay, they were really delightful. Got us because they'd sent their reporter. They got us there afterwards. Yeah, everybody so you, you in entertainment sit, is lovely. You got to sit on the sofa. I'd love to say everybody in entertainment was lovely. <laughs> That's absolutely the case. Of course, it is. <laughs> so you got to sit on the sofa, did you? Yeah, we did. Richard yeah, we sofa. did. Yeah, and this is when they were in their pomp as well back in those Absolutely. days. Absolutely, yeah, that was um, a great experience. So, uh, so yeah, so you managed to get. Uh, so, can I see the uh, the world record yeah. poster I, again? I know it's not great radio necessarily, but I get to see it for there everybody. We'll, we'll do a little photo afterwards, and we'll, I'll pop it on my Facebook stuff and on the Radio Bath thing. So, uh, so yeah, Guinness Book of Records. They just certify that Rachel Cooper. Um, am I allowed to say the other names yes. as well? So, yes. Olive Kerr and Samantha Steele, team members of Trans World Venture Round the World Drive, drove twenty six thousand. And 78 miles in 39 days, 23 hours, 35 minutes, 13th of May to 22nd of June, 1990. And Norris McWhirter, there's yes. a name I haven't heard for a yes. while as well. All official, it's all framed and everything. So, uh, so yeah, we'll put a uh, picture of that on the feed so uh, so you can actually have a look at that. So, uh, so yeah, and then that was what you got you going around the world. And this is while you were in the army. And, uh, yeah, fantastic. So when we come back afterwards, we're going to talk about what you do now and and why you do it as well so okay. uh, we're back very shortly with rachel thanks richard love that track we don't talk anymore charlie puth and selena gomez here on radio bath here till 12 o'clock today so i'm back with rachel the lovely rachel mcgill and we've talked about your round the world trip we're now going to talk about the origins and principles of rle mm-hmm. okay so after leaving the army you know you did some other stuff and then rle came around so what does rle stand for and uh, how and why did you get into it okay it stands for resilient leaders elements and it's the name of our business, but it's also the name of the approach that we take to leadership development, which is about helping people prepare for difficult times when things are calm. Okay. Because it's too late when you're in it. If you're, if you're already flapping, it's way too late. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Kind of, yeah. So and it, we started looking at it as a, when I left the army back in the 90s, um, late 90s. At that time, the focus for leadership development was very much on the kind of what I do side of things, mm. you know, the kind of set a goal, get some people to help you get there, make some decisions, you know, very tangible stuff. It was the early days of um, Daniel Goleman's work on emotional intelligence. And we recognised because the people that came up with Resilient Leaders Elements with me had all led in uncertainty, got it right, got it wrong, kind of knew the difference between the two. 
And we said, let's identify those elements of leadership that are going to help people. Because um, I remember listening to a radio program, actually, um, about the City of London at that time. So if you remember back to then, Richard, (laughs) it was um, there was a, a, a... an environment of fear really around London and the big cities that were a threat of bombing from yep. the IRA in those days. And um, the, they did a survey, the Financial Services Authority did a survey of firms in and around the city. And 40% of those firms, even then, had no disaster recovery. Okay. And those that did was all about systems and infrastructure. There was nothing about the people. And the guy on the radio was saying, you know, yeah, we had these mirror trading floors set up. And in the event of the Bishopsgate bombing, we were expecting people to be able to come to work, you know, the next day. And the reality was that they didn't. So I was kind of shouting at the radio saying, of course they didn't, because your focus was around buildings and systems. What you need to think about is how you help people prepare for those horrible situations and at the same time, make them better leaders day to day. Okay, and resilience is part of the uh, the phrase, which mm, you know you yeah. need a lot of resilience being a leader. So, yeah. talk to me more about that. Well, the kind of resilience thing, you know, whenever a difficult, challenging event happens, pretty much straight afterwards, you'll hear things on the radio, telly, people say, "Leadership, we need good leadership, we need resilience," and and that's why we put the two together. So, every one of us leads every day. We have different roles in our lives. So, our belief is everyone is a leader. First yeah. of all. Um, what makes a difference for resilient leadership is being able to lead yourself when things are calm, all the way up a spectrum when things become increasingly uncertain through, through to things like contingent events happening like pandemics. Right? I, d- I didn't know that one. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> what happened there? Well, you know, so again, for us, you know, having done this work for years and years, that was the kind of latest where you need resilient leadership to lead yourself you know, through that time, as well as others. And actually, when you get it right, you'll have more of a chance of looking back over your shoulder, knowing that you've got people with you, because you've invested time, not because they have to be with you, but because they choose to follow you. Yeah, I mean, we had the scenario that, uh, so again, for those that aren't aware, I'm a dance teacher, and I run a franchise. Mm. And uh, there are 45 franchises across the country that that we run. Mm. And those that were very active during the pandemic, have come back from it much stronger than those yeah. that didn't. Yeah. You know, and we were very active with social media, um, doing quiz nights, bake-offs, doing loads of different things to keep people yeah. connected with what we were doing. Um, some people just went quiet and yeah. then wondered why nobody came back. Yeah. Um, well, one of the elements of resilient leadership that we talk, that we focus on is awareness, awareness of yourself and others, but also awareness of the environment. Mm-hmm. And those organisations that did really you know, kind of managed to keep themselves going through the through the pandemic were those that adapted to the environment around them. So one of the one of the key success criteria there is being able to see what's changing and adapting to meet that change, not waiting for instructions to come to you or mm-hmm. um, you know, to keep doing things as you've always done them. So absolutely sounds like that's exactly what you did, Richard. You kind of saw yeah. what was happening, saw what was needed kind of values driven as well as you know having a, a direction a clarity of direction um yeah it's one of yeah. the elements critical elements we went online effectively to teach dancing uh, so yeah. we, re- we recorded i think it's about 250 different instructional videos wow. which we released on patreon uh, and people signed up and had a monthly subscription Amazing. so they could carry on dancing yeah. uh, every friday afternoon myself and my wife zoe we were we were there recording it and yeah. there are some outtakes if you want to look on youtube about <laughs> how it didn't always go to plan um yeah. but uh, but yeah it was quite stressful at times to try and do that but at the same time we knew that it would keep people engaged and yeah. and help people dance and keep people's mental health up so uh yeah yeah. and having a purpose you know how how important was that for all of us you know just 
having that you know focus a goal something to keep moving towards having some people with you to help you achieve it it's another element of uh, the resilient leaders elements is clarity of direction and purpose is so important well for me i you know during the pandemic i lost mm. my identity yeah. um, i've been a dance teacher for 20 plus years and all of a sudden it was taken away from me yeah. um, so to keep doing that for myself as a personal issue uh. was really nice because i could carry on being a dance teacher even though during the day i was being a delivery driver to yeah. to pay the mortgage so uh, so yeah it really really helped me mm. um so you didn't just found or start the company by yourself who who did that with no, you? No, my co-founder is um, Dr. Jeremy Mead. Okay, um, Jeremy Mead. <laughs> he always laughs when I say doctor. He's he's a doctor of chemistry. But when okay. I met him, he was head of leadership development for Unilever. I was he was a client of mine. I was doing some work for him at the time, having left the army, and it was on change leadership. And we got together um, at the time, and I talked about this radio program that I'd heard, and I said we must be able to do some stuff to help people here. So he said, right, we're going to do something here. We need to make sure that what we produce enables people to measure the impact of leadership development which is really hard to do yeah because often it's like i really like this person they have a great impact on what i'm trying to achieve but i can't really say why or mm-hmm. how so we have now a vision to make world-class leadership development available to all right that's what we do and we do it through a community of people that we run an accreditation program for and our focus is on helping people prepare for difficult times by leading with resilience so would you say you were kind of a, a yin and a yang to each other yeah i say that because mm-hmm. myself and my, my wife we help you know we run the business together yeah. and uh, i'm kind of very much the big picture person and she's very much what about all these small details yeah. and therefore it works really well as a partnership yeah. in that regards so yeah. is it similar for yourselves absolutely yeah absolutely jeremy is uber smart um able to make leaps between things you know he'll sort of have have a have an absolute clarity of how things are going to work before anybody else has kind of worked out how i'm kind of like oh hang on a minute how is that going to happen and what about these people over here we need to think about how it's going to land there and over here and sometimes there's a bit of a sigh but he's kind of like yeah you're right rachel okay let's plug the working in in the middle you know so that's kind of that's our yin and yang i think I am literally picturing a conversation with myself and Sarah the other day, which had that exact same feeling. I'm like, yeah, let's do all this. And she went, what about? I'm like, oh. uh, yeah, I recognise that. <laughs> it is that moment. So, uh, so on the website, you've got two main principles of what I do and who I am. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah. So again, we kind of recognise the need to balance your your approach to leading yourself and other people and it's fine to be focused on goals and making decisions but if you're doing that not thinking about the other people around you how to engage them and your presence as a person as a leader you know so one of the other elements that we talk about is leadership presence what you leave behind you when you're not in the room Mm -hmm. because of who you are when you are in the room okay and that's all about who i am and that's as important when it comes to you know because who you are is a big factor in, in my answering the question, you know, why would I follow you? Mm. Um, so if, if I'm focusing on who I am, leaving a positive presence, you know, leading and making decisions also based on my values yeah. as well as what makes sense and the values of the organisation as well as driving towards our goals and so on, there's a kind of a care to that. There's a thoughtfulness and an integrity to that that gives you a much better chance of having people keeping coming with you, particularly mm. when things get difficult. If you don't invest time when things are calm in building those relationships and building that kind of culture 
then you're going to really struggle to it's, have people want it's to almost the opposite it's almost the opposite to the last minute manager syndrome isn't it mm. which a lot of people do do go for and I, I mm. use the classic case of allowing your fuel tank to run below a quarter of a tank yeah. it's always that moment where you think I need fuel that's when you're mm. then running late mm. that's when the panic starts set in and that's yeah. when everything goes a bit pear shaped so it's getting ahead of the game I suppose it, it is it's also about being sustainable you know everybody you, you know you go from fast moving projects these days from one project to another you know you want people to have a good experience you know, working with you. So actually investing time in, in the kind of social contracting around how we work together as much as what we're going to achieve together is critical if you want people to say, yeah, it was great, I'll do it again, yeah. rather than run for the hills. <laughs> and do you think that, that the environment has changed? When I say the environment, is in the working environment since you first started doing this. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people feel like now it's just so much more fast paced yeah. than it used to be. There's so much more pressure on people to produce stuff. Mm. Do you feel it's changed? I think I think it's exacerbated now. You know, it's in, it's an increasingly recognised topic that's critical to us um, because things are fast moving and and actually it's really important that sometimes we just slow it down and just mm. remember what matters. And yeah. that's why we try and keep things really simple. You know, who I am, what I do, four elements to focus on. Okay, let me just see how that sets me up. Yeah, um, and, yeah, and we've built a kind of online. It's bizarre because we kind of were online before online was a thing. Okay. So, you know, we've built an online tool to try and help as many people have access to that kind of thinking and support as possible. Yeah. Well, when we come back after the break, we're going to be talking about leadership. Um, it's <laughs> something which I study quite a lot myself. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this next part. If you do have any questions for Rachel, then do email us in at studio at radiobath.com. Or if you want to talk about anything whatsoever, that's absolutely fine as well. So we'll be back after this. Right, we're back with Rachel then. So it's 20 past 11 just there or thereabouts. So it's Because of You by Kelly Clarkson. You're listening to Radio Bath. So we're on to leadership now. So I've got a really simple question to start with for you, Rachel. Okay. okay. And that is, what makes a good leader? Gosh. I know. Um, I think what makes a good leader is somebody who can, who has the awareness to say why somebody would follow them. So they understand their strengths. But they also have the humility to explain where they need support and challenge. And you said earlier, you know, things are impossibly fast these days. You know, mm. you can't possibly have all the answers. So you need people to support you. You need people to challenge you um, and you need to be open to both those things. I know I was listening to a, uh, a manager the other day. Uh, I look a lot at leadership stuff and, yeah. and they said, oh, you've done a great job here. And his immediate focus was the team did this. Yeah. And he took all of the focus away from him. Yeah. Um, is that a good leader? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a leadership style, isn't it? It's, mm. it's actually about sharing success when you get praised. And absolutely, it's about recognising where that success has come from. And also it's, it's realising that, you know, if you can't do it on your own, who else, what else do you need in place to help you and making sure that everybody knows their contribution and they're rewarded, recognised for it. 
Yeah, I mean, Alex Ferguson was one of the classic great leaders of yeah. of being a football manager, uh, but he did very little training himself. He always mm. had the people around him that were going to train. Yeah. But again, just chatting off air about the, the who am I and who have you left behind uh, in the room when you're not there. Yeah. Even when Alex Ferguson wasn't there, his style and his mm. aura was still in the room mm. and that was still creating mm. a leadership from, from that side of it. Yeah. So can anybody be a good leader? Yes, absolutely. It doesn't go with your job description. It goes with you, you know, you understanding um, your strengths, those things that you bring to a situation. And going back to our kind of, you know, all the way up in, in urgency, sometimes you can't be in the room. So actually, if you've really been clear about where you're going, you've kind of engaged some people to come with you to help you achieve a goal you're focused on them helping them contribute in the way that they they really can um you've got kind of ethics that underpin what you're doing so yeah. people don't get some weird agenda playing out you know you're clear you're purposeful your decision making is robust you're learning from things that go wrong and you're celebrating that learning so it's, there's no necessarily blame you know attributed it's about learning making things better moving forward towards a shared goal I've rambled a bit there, but no, yeah, no, it's, I think. All, it's all good. <laughs> I was just thinking about I follow cricket quite a lot, and, yes. and the England cricket team is a fascinating mm. example of leadership at the moment. So mm. a year ago, they they travelled to the Caribbean and they uh, and they didn't perform particularly well under mm. Joe Root, who was the captain at that point. Mm. He'd been in place for five years, and you could just see he was shattered from mm. the whole experience. Mm. Uh, they then put Ben Stokes in, and he put a different mantra in place of mm. "We're just going to take the attacking option all the time." But his leadership standard was that or quality was that he was just very clear mm. about what he wanted to do, mm. what he wanted everybody else to do, and that there was no repercussions if it went wrong. Yeah. And they've changed from get it, winning one game in 17 yeah. to winning 10 games out of 12. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and it's pretty much the same group of people, but mm. with a different leader yeah. and a different way of doing it. Yeah, different, different leader, but different approach as well. Yeah. You know, and the pressure isn't just on one person. It's kind of, yeah, we'll stand stand together. We take this this approach. Everybody do your best. Yeah. You know, bring the, bring your best. And their mantra is definitely kind of they're going to try and entertain people. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. What that's what they are trying to do. So there's lots of different types of leaders from kind of the democratic to the autocratic to coaching, transformational. Mm. Um, is there one that's better than the other that suits different situations? What, what would you think about no, that? No, I think um, you need to be able to adapt your style. So, again, if everyone leads, we all need to be flexible enough to match the situation that we're in. So... I think there are times where you absolutely have to be directive when things are, you know, challenging. You don't have time to be fully inclusive of people or share the control. But there are equally, it's equally as important to rebalance when things are calm that you do, you know, share control. You do become more um, discussive on things. Uh, so I think that's no one better style, but the situation dictates the best style. Um, so, so a good leader would you. have all of those different traits i, I suppose so. yeah. um and how they would how they would do it um and then being a leader you know again just trying to think about w different ways of doing it um getting feedback how how important is that as a leader and taking that on board yeah it's critical so again if we, if you kind of go with the premise that you can't possibly have all the answers there are lots of different ways of seeing the same situation you know you need your decisions to be robust and informed and creative and you know the best creativity comes from many different views so including as many people as you possibly can uh, yeah and the, again the, the approach we take is 
you do your own assessment you kind of recognize where you are but then you go out and you triangulate that by checking how do other people see this same situation how do they see me just um, in the spirit of making things and yourself better yeah, I mean, it's about having diversity in your team as well, I suppose. Yeah. There's the classic thing about um, 9-11 and that you had a yeah. bunch of 45-year-old white men in a room yeah. deciding that a bloke in a cave wasn't relevant. Yeah. Um, if they'd have had anything else from anybody else yeah. in that sort of religion or that culture, it would have been a very different outcome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, having a diverse team. Absolutely. I worked with a guy once who's really senior in his organisation and he said, the best thing about being senior is I can now bring people in who are completely different to me hmm. because they're much, much better at this side of things than I am. There's only one bit that I know I'm really great at. All the rest, I really struggle. So he was in a great position to be able to bring completely different people in to him. And he said it was joy. You know, it took us, it took some, it takes longer sometimes to get to the outcome. But when you do, it's much more robust and well thought through. Yeah, you don't want the storming mentality where, you know, if you get knocked over by a bus, the whole thing falls apart. Um, So, yeah, you definitely need to have a team around you. But I think what most leaders would struggle with is letting go. Yeah. How how do you find people do that? Um, That's a good question. I think um, think about what you really need to hold on to and what actually could carry on without you. You know, kind of just check your ego a bit. That's perhaps a place to start, Richard. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, you know, as I mentioned, being a dance teacher myself, mm-hmm. I have a number of dance teachers that work for me, um, and I want them to all be better than me in a strange way yeah. from a trainer perspective. So yeah. my leadership style is definitely coaching. Yeah. That's, I think that's my, my natural way of doing it, mentoring. And, yeah. Uh, and yet I want all of those people to be a better teacher than I am because mm. um, then I, I don't have to mm. do it. I love doing it, mm. um, but if they can bring dancing to more people and make more people happy i'm happy so i want them to be better than me yeah uh, in fact i was dancing with one of my new teachers the other day and uh, i'm maturing in years now and uh, they were dancing to quite a funky song and and i stood there looking at myself in the mirror dancing with them and going yeah times <laughs> times moved on and uh, i'm not that person anymore um i don't think i was ever the funkiest dancer in the world in the first place but uh, but yeah it's kind of like yeah. they can do that much better than i can yeah and your your contribution is the giving them the platform to do that right mm. so yeah. create we talk about create the environment that allows that to happen where people are committed where they're taking responsibility you know where they're kind of honest and open and then you've cracked it then you can step back and let them step yeah. up or step back depending on the situation who's best to lead yeah who is who is best to lead and what i always like to think about is who can do the job the best at that moment in time is it the leader or actually is it somebody else yeah. that can do it yeah. and having a team around you i think is yeah is critical in i choosing. think the title leader is a little bit if, if you know if everybody leads then it's not one of us that's a leader it might be on your job description but anybody can step up and say this is i know where the organization's going and know what we're doing this is my part in it this is how I'm contributing. I mean, I love... So we have taxi dancers, which are expert dancers that help all the beginners yeah. at, our, at our dance nights. And uh, I love the fact that they drive me. Yeah. Um, I do. They literally grab hold of me, drag me to the floor and say, dance with that person. They need you to dance with them. <laughs> yeah, and, they uh, see it. They see it. You can't yeah. see everything all the time. They no, notice what's going on. You can't see everything all the time. <laughs> I wish you could. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, leadership is uh, a fascinating topic. And I think the, the bit that I'm taking away more than anything today is that everybody can be a leader. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, At any age, you know, you watch your children in the playground. Sometimes they'll step up and have a brilliant game and everybody will jump on and follow. And other times they'll step back and just join in in the background. Yeah, and 
do you find many leaders are good at being, you know, because naturally you have the ter- terminology of the, the shepherd and the sheep. Mm. Um, do you find many leaders can be a shepherd and go back into the ranks and be a sheep as well? I think it it kind of depends on, um, yes, the answer is it's something that we absolutely should aspire to be able to do. You know, know when to step up and and be supported and know when to step back and be supporting hmm. both active and it may be that I am the boss, but that I, I absolutely know there are times when I'm not the best person to lead. Hmm, absolutely. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about becoming a, a leadership consultant. And we've still got our quick fire questions to go yet as well. So uh, okay. back very shortly, Rachel. There's Jump and Van Halen then. So we're back with Rachel. A couple of links to go yet now. Uh, we've had a question in from Dot, regular mm-hmm. listener. So uh, the question for you, Rachel, yes. is what is the best way to deal with team members who are determined not to be a team player? Gosh. There's a question. Yeah. Thanks, okay. Dot. Can I be challenging of Dot? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So I'd start with your assumptions. I'd, I'd dig into that a little bit, have a look at what's actually going on, what's leading you to make that, um, or to draw that conclusion. And I'd get close to it. I'd go and ask them. Okay. So um, deal with it direct. I, well, uh, directly I'd get curious. Um, m- most people, there's a chap called Will Schutz, if you're interested in interpersonal relationships. Okay. Um, all of us need to feel included or to be included. We need to have some degree of control. And we need to feel kind of valued, um, have a level of openness. And I think if you think about starting with openness, just going and checking what's going on for people is a good place to start. Check your own assumptions. You can't really change anybody but yourself. Yep. So I'd start there. Okay. See where that takes you. Right. No, that sounds good. It's, uh, so, yeah, team members are often <laughs> one of the most difficult things, but it's why they're uh, yeah, doing it, isn't I'd, it? I'd find out why. Um, and often just just being being a good listener sometimes just gets you a bit more information and maybe that it challenges yourself um, a little as well. I know one of the classic things, certainly if I go on to the male-female kind of way of doing it, which I know isn't 100% accurate, mm. um, but is men are generally problem solvers and they go into problem-solving yes. territory. So they go into there and go, right, what's the problem? Let me solve it. Yeah. Let me fix it. Uh, whereas often ladies are just there going, I'll listen to what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can, you often don't offer anything, just you listening can be everything. Yeah. That's kind of, I guess it, whatever, wherever, whatever your gender, I guess, yeah. check. You, we have a natural start point, don't we? Problem solving or kind of um, questioning, listening. So whatever your natural start point is, bring a bit of the other in for some balance i guess that's yeah. the point isn't it i suppose if you've listened really well and then <laughs> offered nothing and they're like how am i going to fix it you then... kind of earn the right don't you if you listen long enough you earn the right to to put a suggestion yeah. forward perhaps look think of it that way okay now remind us of your website again which we haven't actually yes. spoken about at all so. okay resilientleaderselements.com very catchy um, yes yeah. <laughs> it's the longest email address in the world <laughs> i know i had to spell it i didn't even spell a resilient resilient right but there we go so um so your company gives people a chance to become a consultant yeah. um so let's just imagine i've got the qualities and wanted to give it a go how would i yeah. go about it and can anyone do it yeah anybody can become a resilient leaders consultant there is a there's a we're kind of a gatekeeper to our community we have a growing community of people either people who are inside an organization or outside supporting organizations what matters is you are passionate about developing resilient leadership in yourself or others um once you're once you're in 
we run an accreditation program over a five-month period. Okay. When we first started, Rich, if I'm honest, we thought we could do this in a couple of days. <laughs> you know, we've got this brilliant online tool. We can train people in it. And, and, and then we said, no, no, we can't. This is experiential, yeah. which means you have to use it for real for yourself before you earn the right to use it with other people. So we do it virtually, always done it virtually, okay. over a five-month period. Right. And I'm guessing it's not free. No, it's not, oh. unfortunately. However, because we have the... Uh, vision to make world-class leadership development available to all we keep the costs as low as we can um, okay. for the accreditation and also for the use of the tool that the accreditation trains you in so can i be really crude and say how much does it cost yeah one thousand eight hundred and fifty pounds okay. to become accredited and um, once you've done that there's a membership fee each year right um but that's it um okay yeah and uh, you're trained to use the online assessment and development program that um, measures how often you do those things associated with resilient leaders. Okay. The brilliant thing about it is if you take it once at the beginning of a piece of work that you do with somebody and then take it at the end, it measures the impact and the shift. So you're actually able to measure the impact of leadership development, which is like nirvana, the holy yeah. grail, really. going to say, what, what, if I did the course, what would be the benefit to me as a business owner myself? Yeah, a number. You'd be able to, um, with confidence, introduce a professional development approach to your organisation, so um, something that would give you a meaningful conversation with people about their personal and professional development in the kind of area of resilient leadership. You'd be joining a community which um, creates collaboration. We have people who focus on resilient leadership in schools, in higher education, in corporate settings, in the military. Um, So the great thing is it's a a really eclectic community that you'd be joining. Um, Yeah. And getting, of things. getting advice from other people, I suppose, is, yeah. is really quite critical. So, uh, so yeah. yeah. Okay, and remind us of the website again. ResilientLeadersElements.com ResilientLeadersElements.com Fantastic. <laughs> well, after the next track, we're going to come back with a quick fire questions for you. And I've okay. got an extra one in there for those who have been listening before. Crikey, um, I need to limber up. Which I, I think, yeah, you don't get access to these. Okay, so <laughs> I, I think there's one in here which is quite psychologically interesting. So, uh, so yeah, we're back after this track. Okay. Right, we're back for our last chat then with the lovely Rachel. Uh, so this is our quick fire round. Again, the guests don't get access to what these questions are. They do get access to the first one, which I'll tell you again. So here we go. So what is your favourite ice cream? Chocolate. Chocolate. No Just doubt. any chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Jeremy, Jeremy was head of the ice cream business for Unilever. So he said, yeah, this is a really important question <laughs> for me to get right. But that's it, really. Chocolate. Just chocolate fair enough <laughs> you know my least favorite right. I think, i've never said this before actually my least favorite is the one which has got the three uh, oh neapolitan because co- yes. none of them taste right no they all no. just kind of taste slightly odd they all taste a bit vanilla yeah but not even good not vanilla. even good vanilla yeah go. right are you clean or messy oh i'm clean yeah presentation's very good uh, love <laughs> or hate roller coasters hate hate why uh too scary my my children love them Okay. I just can't bear the whole thing of falling into nothing. Right, fair enough. Uh, on your phone, excluding social media, websites, messaging services, mm. anything like that at all, what is the phone app you use the most? Is there a favourite game or anything like that? Mm, there is a game that I'm a bit addicted to. Go on, and what's that? Um, I don't even know the name of it. It's one where, where you um, <laughs> you have to match three 
pears oh, and yeah. three apples and so they a disappear. Co- a colour blast, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. I'm a bit addicted to that. It's yeah. a terrible admission, isn't it? It's not. I've got some really sad games that I play on my phone have very you? regularly. So, uh, so yeah, and one of them is very similar to that. I so, could have uh, said all the fitness apps that I very rarely look at, but I'm just, just keep it real. We're looking for honesty. <laughs> <laughs> want to find out more about Rachel, not not the uh, not the Rachel that everybody sees, but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Rachel behind. Right, this is a new question for you. Okay, okay. so there's a reason behind this. Do you make your bed in the morning? Yes. Oh, why? Because um, that chat we right back to where we started. Ray Lavar, my first ever boss, who lives in Bath, I know, said to me once when I'd really messed up. I had a big pile of money that I'd collected um, from the. PRI, I can't remember what that stands for in, in sort of army terms, but I had it on my desk. I needed the bathroom, so I left the money in a big pile on my desk, went to the toilet. When I came back, it had gone. <gasps> He'd taken the money, hidden it in his desk, and let me panic for about four minutes okay. before he, he realised. And, and he said to me, tidy desk, tidy mind, Rachel. Okay. You tidy your desk, you, tidy, you make your bed, keeps you straight for the, for the rest of the day. Yeah, very good. You're absolutely right on that one as well. So talking about, I was going to say talking about bed, that sounds terrible. But going into the morning, uh, what's your favourite breakfast? Um, Porridge. Porridge? Yeah. Okay, interesting one. Any flavours or? No, I love porridge with um, like seeds in and then fruit on the top. Okay, very nice. Uh, What's your go-to karaoke song if you had to do karaoke? Um... Midnight Train to Georgia. Midnight Train to Georgia. And I've asked every guest this, and nobody's done it yet. Are you going to give us a little verse now? Oh, God, no. <laughs> you don't want that to happen. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> uh, I, I asked this question purely because we're always running out of programmes. So, favourite TV programmes, a binge watch, anything like that? Um, okay. Um, I love the kind of, the, the Attenborough, any of okay. the Attenborough stuff, just the natural history um, things. But actually, what I'm watching at the moment is completely different, good Women. Okay. Netflix. Good Women. Yeah. I don't think I've seen that one. So. It's good. It kind of draws you in. I, I won't ask what it's about because I think the clues bad, in the title. Bad, thing, bad things happen to good women. That's bad kind things of, happen to I'd good say. women. And your last question then, Rachel. So if you came back in your next life as an animal, which one would you be and why? Okay. I would be a bird. I oh, think I would be. Birds are popular. Yeah. I think I've been albatross because I love the sea. Ah. So, yeah, I'd be an albatross. An albatross floating across the sea. Yeah. That would be amazing. Rachel, it's been amazing having you in today. Can you remind us of your website again, please? Yeah, it's resilientleaderselements.com. And on there, you will see some brilliant people who have all been accredited and all go out and work with organisations. So if it's something that you're interested in, get in touch with one of them. They are the most amazing group of people you can find brilliant well thank you so much for coming in today we've had an absolute blast i've loved talking to you could have talked to you for hours more yeah, but, likewise uh, richard thank you so much that's okay we'll see you again very soon take care